Today, we are talking to Abram, the CTO and co-founder of Inkit, and we discuss the sexy parts of direct mail, being a young entrepreneur, and owning mistakes. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So I'm, I'm checking out your LinkedIn and your profile. I'm reading all about you, getting all pumped up, talk to you. I see you've got a, uh, a new website coming out and I'm, I'm curious to know more about it. Uh, yeah. So it, the website is called the entrepreneurialist. Um, it is more or less going to start out as essentially just like a chronicling of my crazy startup y kind of stuff. And that, that mostly just comes from the fact that I've had a whole bunch of friends ask me about, you know, how do you start your businesses? How does that work? You know, can you help teach us how to start a business? And of course, you know, I can always tell them, hey, you know, there's, you know, Gary V or Pat Flynn online, you know, you if you want to start a business, go ahead and check them out. They'll help you out, you know, through their own education. But they, you know, it, it's the personal relationships part of it. So um, what I'm going to be doing there is essentially just, um, you know, a, a mix between just kind of chronicling what I'm doing as a CTO right now and kind of going forward in business, but as well as um, teaching other people just kind of the basics of, you know, how do you start a team? You know, what is like ownership structure stuff like? Um, so the very un-CTO-y side of things that, that I deal with on a, on a daily basis. Well, that's super interesting. I mean, that's why I started, you know, doing this podcast and the book and everything was there's, it was more of a untechnical things. So a lot of the CTOs, we have, you know, technical developer backgrounds. And then when we really get into the groove of being a CTO, it's a whole lot of non-technical experience oh, yeah. that we need, you know? Oh, definitely. And the other thing you brought up was which was super interesting is I can recommend Gary V or I can recommend who was the other one, Pat Flynn and those individuals, but they're so big and they're so far away and disconnected that like the people who know you, they want to know, they like, they know you, they want to know what you're doing. Cause it's more, it's just, there's this added benefit of actually knowing the person and then leveraging their experience. Yeah. So, so, I mean, there's a couple things that's actually happening there. I mean, the first really is that, that personal relationship, like I already mentioned, and you kind of mentioned this as well. Like someone can look at the success of Gary V and just be like, Oh, I will absolutely never get there. But one, yeah, most people probably won't ever get there, but, <laughs> but two, that's not the point. You know, there's, there's something that people are missing when they're talking about, you know, when they're comparing themselves to, um, kind of these figurehead people. And there's a reason why you shouldn't be doing that. Um, there's a lot of people, particularly people that I have personal relationships with as well, which makes this very convenient. Um, but there's a lot of people who want to uh, talk with someone who they can relate more to, which is kind of where I come in because I have those kind of personal relationships and because I'm not necessarily at the level, okay, I'm definitely not at the level of Gary Vee or Pat Flynn or anybody else up there. So um, 
with those people, I'm, you know, with these people who I've been talking with, I'm just kind of inherently more relatable because I'm closer to where they are. Um, right. And, and that's, that's something that, um, that, that's been kind of pushing me to start making the entrepreneurialist in general is, is just that, you know, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people out there who can teach people about how to, how to do businesses of, of many different kinds. Um, but that's not the point, you know, my own personal experience has, you know, does have a, a benefit to some people who might have similar paths. And especially in, um, my case where a lot of the people who I've talked to are, you know, developers wanting to become CTOs or wanting to start their own thing. Um, and while it's not really, it actually definitely is not an uncommon path to go from a developer to a CTO. A lot of people think it is because when they see their CTOs, they expect, and they kind of end up uh, looking at them as a kind of a business figurehead because they're not necessarily sitting there coding every single day. Uh, right. but they were usually right. a developer too, unless it's a massive fortune 500 company, in which case it's probably a little bit different um, in most cases. And there's definitely a lot smaller, there's a lot more of the smaller uh, startup style companies than there are of the, you know, fortune, it's fortune 500 because there's 500, there's right? 500. <laughs> so right. there's like 10,000 startups like every year, or I don't know, I just made that up, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> Well, I know last year in Minnesota alone, there were like 3,500 corporate entities created. So, you know, it, corporate entities, they could be used for anything, but I bet there's a significant percent of them that were actually created as, you know, like top level startups, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about something that I used to be kind of sensitive about talking about, but I have your picture here and uh, I feel like we would... Uh, we would share the same sentiment. You look young. Okay. I, I am currently 21. I yeah. started programming when I was six years old and I took off from there. I actually started my first company when I was 10, got a decent amount of success from there. And that's what I do. So yes, I am very young for what I do. It is something that I'm very open about because it's obvious. That's not something I can hide. Um, but it doesn't bother me, you know, being, being young just means I've got more time to think about what I'm doing right now. Absolutely. I, my dad would take me to work with him when I was a child, like six, eight years old. And he would sit me in the cubicle with him and I'm 30 now. Right. So he would sit me in the cubicle and I would play on the computer and ultimately ended up writing code and so on. Um, but I've always, so I got in really young and then I started making apps and I sold my first app at 18 and it wasn't that there's, there's being young, there's being 18, there's being six, there's being 10. And then there's oh, yeah. look, looking young. Like I look young. Like I have a baby, I have a four month old baby and I go out with my wife and like we get carded at dinner. <laughs> and nice. I, yeah. Cause I look like I'm 30 going on 20, you know? <laughs> Well, hey, maybe that's not a bad thing, right? When I'm when I'm fifty, like I'll look like I'm thirty, right? Yeah. Hey, maybe people will think you're much younger for quite a while. Yeah. So, do you do you ever face any issues with that? Do you ever face any like people being negative about about being young or? When I was much, yeah, I say much younger. Well, okay, I mean it was because I was 
literally half my age. Um, when I was much younger, yeah, I, I saw it all the time. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things where I would end up going to a meeting and they'd be like, okay, you know, kid, step aside, let your dad do the talking. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure someone actually said that one time. Um, <laughs> but, it, I mean, it never bothered me because, one, I knew that I wasn't going to do anything to convince those people anyway. There, there was literally nothing I could do to convince them other than showing them the actual talent afterwards. Um, but these days, you know, I don't really see a lot of um, issues coming from that. Um, generally, I don't know. It feels like to me that now that I'm past 20, most people are able to get past the fact that I'm young. Yeah, they still realize that I'm much younger than them, but they feel like they're not uh, dealing with a kid anymore. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, um, I don't really see any issues with that on a daily basis. Good. I love seeing the world's like coming around. It's, it's helped a lot because there's been a lot of positive press the past decade about young, younger entrepreneurs, oh, especially sure. with the technology. Oh yeah. So that's definitely helped pave the way. I like your site. I think it's really pretty. Uh, inkkit.io. Looks like you guys are doing, oh, okay. Sorry. Inkit.io. Yeah, no um, problem looks like you direct mail API and you, you hit up real estate companies and is that what's going on with that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a marketing automation platform for Ooh. direct mail. We, you know, my co-founder and I thought it up when we were kind of like looking through what is the hardest part that we deal with, um, when we deal with marketing, because, um, I had previously worked at a, company here in Minneapolis that is really big into marketing automation. And, um, you know, I had my own frustrations, you know, in companies in the past trying to market to, you know, different audiences. And one of the things that we both kind of came up with is that direct mail sucks <laughs> to manage. It just does. Um, if you have to do it manually, it's not, an easy thing. It's a long process. It can take weeks. Um, what happens when, you know, the printers have a miscommunication and then there's issues there. But the beauty of it all is that it can be automated like most things these days. So we've, you know, gone through and done the work to automate the process mostly so that now there's just a platform that's ready to go for our customers to design their uh, postcards right inside of our template builder. And it will be rendered and shipped out as soon as you press send to your list. Um, of course, automations are features that are coming as well. You can tag them and segment them in different ways. I mean, it's a marketing automation platform, but for direct mail. Excellent. It looks like you found your stride in the real estate space. Yeah, that's, that's one of the stronger cases. Uh, the other one is... Uh, BDC, literally retail companies. Uh, there are several niche retail companies that are obviously in many ways competing against Amazon um, that have found pretty great success with direct mail and you know, are, some of them are using our platform. 
Nice. How did you meet your Mike? Uh, how did you meet your Michael? <laughs> how did you meet your co-founder, Michael? Through the area here. He, um, he and I have known each other for a few years now. We were kind of just talking about, you know, the state of tech in Minneapolis and the state of just kind of business in Minneapolis in general, because there's sort of a whole group of people in Minneapolis in business and, and in tech who think that everything is going great. And then there's a whole group of people who think that, man, everything is going terrible. And the real big difference there is the people who generally think it's going terrible are the people who are working at the really major corporations like the Fortune 500s. Um, because over the past five years, the Fortune 500s in Minneapolis have not been doing stellar, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, there's a whole bunch of these smaller companies that are starting to kind of flourish and come out of the woodwork. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about that kind of stuff um, one time at lunch in our you know, in the skyways essentially. And, and, uh, we became friends for better or for worse. We became friends. Oh yeah. For better or for worse. Dude, the co-founder is a relationship, like a marriage. You guys are locked in together and you have oh, to make yeah. it work. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my fiance says that she's actually the third wheel most of the time. <laughs> yeah, my my wife makes jokes all the time because of how much time I spend with with business and different co-founders and stuff like that. Oh man, do you guys have a physical location or are you guys all remote? Yeah, we we do have a small physical location. I mean, we're a very distributed company. Uh, I've got. A couple engineers out in the Ukraine, actually. I've got an engineer locally, and I've got, uh, you know, a team of various other people through marketing. Um, But we're a very, very distributed company, so, you know, most people are actually rarely in the office anyway. But we do have Mm -hmm. a physical location uh, inside of downtown Minneapolis. Excellent. Well, you just, just a couple of you, just two or three of you there? Yeah, usually. Usually it's the co-founder, me, and the local engineer. Is that Noah? Yeah, that's Noah. I'm creeping on your about page right now, by the way. I I figured you probably were. That's okay. That's okay. Definitely feel free to look at everybody there. I won't go back like to 2010 in your Instagram, but I will check out the about page. (laughs) Hey, fair enough. So do you find direct mail sexy? Like... Like, how do you, how do you keep excited about direct mail as a, like you're a modern technology professional, you're interesting, hip individual. Uh, I see you're stylish by your different pictures and like, how do you keep excited about direct mail? Well, it's, it's not necessarily the direct mail per se. It's more the process around it and how we can use technology to improve it. So, I mean, postcard is a postcard. A lot of people would kind of agree with that statement. I mean, it is, it's a, it's been around for quite a while, but the process around how to actually send them out and, um, the information you can use to send the, the pieces out more efficiently, um, coming up with, uh, good ways to solve the problems around how do you, um, fit dynamic fields of, you know, in many cases, undefined length when you're going to expose it to the internet, um, to a literally physically defined piece. 
And then there's the stuff about, you know, how do you price a software that is um, literally not about the software itself, but about the physical product that it produces afterwards, where more often than not, the customer actually doesn't ever end up seeing the postcard. Um, right. they see, they see a rendering of it, but they don't necessarily see the physical postcard unless they send one to themselves, which some of them do because they like to, uh, kind of either, uh, show their boss like, Hey, there's this great tool and it made this, and this is what it looks like after it went through the mail. But, um, you have to have kind of these controls in place so that, uh, renderings don't go wrong. And then you send out a hundred thousand pieces that, uh, don't look right. Do you do manual, manual review or, uh, we don't generally know. Uh, there is when we're going to make a deploy, we do have a QA person who will, uh, kind of test out the rendering process and just kind of check on it on both sides to make sure, Hey, does this look the way that we expect it to? Um, but what what did you say? What did you just say? You said a a keyway person, a QA quality assurance. Got it. Cause I was like, is there a new role I don't know about? Has marketing done this yet again? <laughs> no. I, well, I mean, probably, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> probably, but it, I mean, no, we didn't invent anything. Okay. Anyways. Cause they do that. Marketing uh, does that. They just come up with titles and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, do you, does your company have a chief heart officer? It's like, Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> chief heart officer, like Disney's chief smile officer or, mm-hmm like crazy things and all of a sudden like growth stacking and that kind of stuff is a big thing. I mean, okay, that's been a little while now, but I remember when it was a big thing. I'm a 10 X growth engineer. Oh yeah. 10 X growth engineer. It's like, okay, (laughs) everybody's just coming up with names. I feel like what I want to do is I want to like give my org chart to a creative person, like to someone in marketing and just be like, name us all, literally give us all new all titles names. all new names based on how you know us because i swear that would be really cool someone would end up with like the senior jedi of code or something i don't know there I'm you go clearly, yes i'm clearly not the most creative person in the world i think of star wars first which tells you how great at marketing i am um, so here, here's what i want i want someone from like dribble i want someone to come up with like take a whole engineering team okay and then Star Wars, the roles. <laughs> oh, that could Ooh. be a thing. I might you steal that idea from you. Please do it. And we would call that. You could call the chat by R2D2, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that'd be good. Oh, man. We got to do We got to have somebody do if somebody's listening and does that. Or if if Abram, if you do it, please, I want to see the engineering team, like the whole DevOps, like engineering code, like the whole pick, whatever little cluster of team members you want at, let's say, like a larger organization. So we can get a lot of roles and let's do a uh, somebody needs to do the Star Wars version of it. I love that. I think that's going to be a thing. We're going to have to figure that out. We will. What was the first piece of code that you wrote? The first piece of code that I wrote was a, oh man, I don't even remember what game it was, but I remember I was playing a game on my dad's computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was Windows XP, um, like pre-installed game. So not very good game, but a game. Um, and... I was frustrated because it kept getting to one of the, you know, like mini levels that it had and it would just stop working. Um, 
but I figured out through chance because I was trying to figure out why is this game, you know, not working anymore. Um, so I actually went and I was looking online and I found that the game was actually open source. Like now I yeah. realize the significance of that because Microsoft and open source at the time were not very good friends. So the significance of that being that one specific game being open source and changing what I wanted to do for my life is amazing. Um, but I, I ended up figuring out what the, uh, you know, what the game was written in and it was written in Python. I was like, Oh, this doesn't look too hard. Um, so then I spent probably the next like six weeks learning Python just to fix a game so I could play it. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, Hey, it worked. And I put in a, a tiny little patch that I, you know, I don't even know if this game exists anymore. I, I don't even know if I could find it. It was like a weird minesweeper thing. But yeah, that, that was the first piece of code that I wrote. That is one game to this day that I've not figured out how to play. Minesweeper? I've put, I've put no energy into figuring it out. I just like, I remember I'd, busy, I'd do what's called like busy clicking like every once in a while when I was bored and just try to play with it. And I'm like, I'm sure there's a strategy other than just clicking. There, there totally is. So yeah. when you click and there's a number... That tells you how many in the eight surrounding squares that there of the bombs that there are, the mines. Oh. So it tells you like the chance. So when you see like three or four, you might want to move to a totally different area to, you know, click instead of clicking on one of the ones around there because there's a 50% chance if you have four out of the eight that you're actually going to hit a mine. It's... And then, you know, when you see the numbers, you know, close to each other, then you can kind of figure out, oh, well, you know, there has to be a, you know, mine in this specific spot. So I should never click there. I mean, it's really simple once you actually look into it, but. Eh. But it's not like Sudoku where like you can actually apply like a, like, you know, that you, you know, that when it comes down to the last two boxes, like, you know, which one it is, if you're smart enough. Yeah, I mean, there. Depending on the circumstance, there definitely could just be a, um, like random chance too. <laughs> so, all right, I want to know: Do you see any uses? I've been really, really pumped about my new best friend Alexa, and uh, and uh, do you see any way you could apply that to what you're doing uh, at your direct mail company? Right now, not currently, but that's probably just because I'm not thinking about something for it. I mean, voice and that kind of stuff is probably going to be the feature for better or for worse. So, I mean, it, when you look it, at it that way, there's probably some feature that I'm not thinking of right now that a customer someday is going to be like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had this? And it's like, okay, well, then maybe we'll implement it. But right now, I just, I'm not seeing a specific use case, but if anybody else does i'd be happy to hear it so i've got one and it's not very effective like as far as actual functionality like people would use it frequently but what i like to do is because everyone's attention right now is really on voice and it's only going to grow so something that i would do with your company is i would just do a quick mashup it'd probably take like an afternoon um and have it read an order status back through a skill to whether like has my 
you know, order been sent to, yes, you've reached 1,000 or 100,000 people across, you know, Minnesota. And then I would film someone interacting with that in like a nice, you know, like reasonably well done video, just the quick 20 second interaction. And then I would market that video against potential customers. And the hype of that is like a way to communicate your product. That's not like a banner ad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's uh, it's not a terrible idea. That's for sure. Um, there's more important things to be implementing than that. Currently. Oh yeah. But um, you know, if I ever find myself bored and not not can't find something to do, that'll never happen. Uh, but yeah. if I do, then you know, I'm sure it would be pretty easy to. That was like the most polite way to tell me it's never going to happen. <laughs> if I ever from, find myself bored, I'll do it. But that's never going to happen. And I love you, Joel. <laughs> you have to understand. I'm from Minnesota. All right. If you couldn't tell by the way I just said Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, we have a way of saying no without actually saying no. It's yeah. I mean, it's weird. It is weird. That was beautiful. No, but it's it's a uh, I like I'm a, I'm a big fan of just like thinking of mar- marketing stuff pops into my head and it's so funny because half the people like will take it and be like oh my god that's so great I'm gonna like go stop what I'm doing and 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 do it and the other half of the people are like you expect me to stop what I'm doing and do it and I'm like no bro I'm just sharing an idea. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like, for sure right it's it's so funny how different people like respond not not you I'm just talking about like, other people right it's so course. interesting how they respond like you don't. You don't have to do this. It would it just be because as a developer, I'm like, I have this bias to wouldn't it be cool if because your customers always say that. And it's just like, yeah, but we're over here like fixing the empire. So we'll we'll put the that button on on a hold list, right? Right, for sure. But I mean, everything's just ideas. So I mean mm. it, and it, and ultimately it depends on what your customers want, what your customers ask for. So, you know, when you know, you get these ideas, it's perfectly okay. And it's totally fine to, you know, jot them down and have them in the back of your head for a while. But at the end of the day, a company isn't going to be a company without its customers being happy because the customers will leave or somebody will create something better and then they'll leave. So at the end of the day, if you don't make them happy, they'll leave. Um, so So do you guys do a lot of marketing right now? We actually do not do a whole bunch of marketing. Um, the main reason why we're almost growing too fast to keep up with it, um, yeah. which is among the problems that you can have. It is a good problem, but it's still a problem. Um, so we're, we don't do a ton of marketing. We actually, we, we don't have any paid media right now. Um, we're mostly just relying on. Uh, SEO from the uh, you know the amount of content we have on our website as well as word of mouth and some minor outbound sales essentially okay minor actually that's mostly what the CEO does Michael my co-founder he's usually out there talking with customers and talking with potential customers so it's probably not as minor as I make it seem Oh, that's super important though, to have a co-founder, like 
I've noticed the companies, and we've had people on the show that talk about this too, the companies that have three technical co-founders end up spending all their money on a product and have no business. And the companies that have a nice balance of co-founders, they end up having a business. (laughs) Right, for sure. I mean, everybody has their their different skill sets. And I know that mine is very into process and technology and, you know, how things work. But in terms of actual sales and how to ensure that revenue keeps coming in, I know that that isn't my top skill. I can do it in a pinch if I have to because I've done it before, but it's just not necessarily the best way to spend my time um, and vice versa with Michael. You know, he he does have a, a degree in or a minor in computer sciences, but he hasn't spent all this time inside of technology. So it's just about using your strongest skill set to, you know, better the business. Uh, I want to know some nightmares that you've experienced as a CTO. Uh, how did they come about? How'd you resolve them? Um, man, uh, sometimes deadlines are hard to uh, definitely keep on track. And, and that's, that's mostly... Um, that's mostly a remnant from, I guess, my being a developer and having, you know, a project manager and, you know, superiors saying, you know, hey, this is what we need to get done by by then. So there have definitely been times where there's a miscommunication about what the deadline actually is and it ends up with the deadline. Usually it ends up within the next day or two being done after the deadline, but it's still a missed deadline. At the end of the day, that's still not good. Um, I've definitely had that. Hasn't happened in a while, which is awesome. And quite honestly, I mostly have Noah to thank for that because he's helping me out with ensuring that the project management stuff stays in check. But I mean, those are those are just kind of the the things you get used to as you're switching from developer to CTO. And even once you've been CTO for a while, if you're starting with a newer company, like the ability to just context switch from, you know, Hey, I'm starting this new company and I'm the first developer here to, you know, actually starting to manage the company again, once it gets to a significant amount of scale or a more significant amount of scale, um, that kind of context switching can be difficult for, you know, for me specifically most people everyone yeah. it's an it's like it's an art oh you know? yeah absolutely yeah to know what to be to how to be dynamic and adjust what your focus is as you go through the different stages of growth from a single developer building a product to a developer of a or to the cto of a company with 10 20 30 people right like it's yeah, all different sure. so have you had to fire anybody yet Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, How did that go? It went fine. I mean, I will always hate doing that. But, you know, what I ended up doing was, you know, I didn't just go right up to him and be like, hey, you're fired. But uh, <laughs> that's good. That's a good start. <laughs> like, like that. that's just not really a great way to go about that situation. But it, mm-hmm. I also don't really think it was really a surprise to them. I mean, they, they kind of acted surprised, 
But but I really don't think it was so much of a surprise to them. And I don't really think that anybody who's actually getting fired, as long as there's a good enough, um, any decent amount of communication between a, a leader and um, the, you know, some employee, I, I think as long as there's some decent amount of communication, it's not really a surprise to anybody that they're getting fired. What I ended up doing with this person was, um, you know, I went up to them and said, hey, you know, here are these issues that we're having. You know, I like, well, actually, I didn't actually start with that. I said, you know, I like how this is going. You know, I listed the positive things, you know, tried to set a tone that wasn't totally negative. Then I went into the pieces of, um, you know, here's where, you know, despite all this great stuff that's happening, here's something, you know, here's a couple things that are not good and quite honestly need to be fixed. Um, and so I go along with, um, you know, I worked with them to kind of come up with deadlines and, you know, have them actually set an expectation for themselves. Because one of the things I've noticed being a manager, a leader, whatever you want to call it, um, at the end of the day, when there's, when you're telling someone a deadline for something, you're going based on your own perspective, but maybe there's something that you could be missing from their perspective as well, which might be a reason why a deadline is unreasonable or deadlines are consistently unreasonable. So if you work with them to set a deadline, I mean, they're, they're literally setting the deadline themselves. So if they come back to me and say, you know, Hey, I don't, you know, I didn't get this done. It's, it's not great right now. I, at that point, I kind of have this feeling like, uh, okay, you know, what do you want me to do about that? Because, you know, we worked together and came up with these deadlines. Um, you know, okay, well, I'll give you one more chance, but you know, let's set the deadlines again. But if it's not done, then, you know, I'm sorry, there, there's not much I can do. Yeah. Well, you can take a very, very like logical perspective to it. And it may even seem a little cold at first when explaining it, but a company can only exist when the, you know, output's greater when you, when you have profit, right? <laughs> so right, right. when the income is greater than the expenses, you have profit, right? For sure. So what it's like energy. So you have this amount of energy flowing in and you have to allocate it in certain places. And one of those forms of energy is, is cash money, right? So then money is going to this resource to accomplish this goal so that we can then get more money in. So if this goal is not getting accomplished, right, you're kind of taking the emotion out of it. Th these things need to be accomplished, not because I want them accomplished, but because we're, it's a business and this is how a business can operate. And so if this task isn't done, then there's, we're not going to have income and then the money and then the company won't exist. So we have this task has to be done at this time. And you get to tell, like, I even let the people like what you said, I let people give me the deadlines. Like you tell me when it can be done, right? right? That way you're responsible and you own it. And then, and then if it's not happening, we can't give you money. It's like, look, I love you. I want you like here, I want you to be a part of what we're doing, but we can't allocate energy to the resource that is you because what you're doing isn't valuable enough like to the company. So like, please just do what's valuable, you know, like for sure, do what needs to be done and then own it. Yeah. You, know, you just come up with your own deadlines. And then, then it's very obvious because the next conversation's up. You have a week later. So look, 
you gave me these very concrete things that would be done at this time so that we could all do what we we love doing here at the business and it run and you didn't do them. And then they're never, they you'd look at the ground, shake their head. I know I'm sorry. All right. Thank you. And then they fire themselves essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It Usually it ends up that way. You know, the, the times that I've had to do it, that is generally, um, that is generally the way it goes. Uh, there are a couple times though, where, people still get defensive about it and I always think it's really unfortunate but you know it's there's nothing really I can do about that either you know if if they've set an expectation for themselves and you know they can't see that you know a missed expectation has you know these great effects on the company and and themselves too then it's kind of hard to continue work you know, working in that relationship. Then there's the whole like personalities too. Like some people, they just don't, they think everything is someone else's fault. They have, they take no responsibility and then they don't even see it. Right. Unfortunately, those people do exist. Yeah. Yes. I'm a big fan of owning my mistakes and I, and I wasn't always, but I found that it's easier for me when I do it. Like I like, I made a mistake yesterday. Okay. We had a call very awesome guy, ran fish skin, um, SEO Moz, like super, super great person. Yeah. And at the end of the call, he had to run to catch the bus. So the audio of the call didn't upload. And I had previously had this issue with, uh, the, the audio podcasting platform. So I had emailed them a few months ago and they said, Oh, well, we can't get it. We can't get the audio back because it's in their HTML five local storage. And I said, okay, there's nothing we can do, whatever. So we just lost the audio for that call. And then when that happened with Jake yesterday, when we, when we found out that he, you know, went for the bus and we didn't get the audio and it was like a really, really great call. He was like, oh, I'm going to email support. I was like, Jake, don't even waste time emailing support. Like, let's move on to the next thing because they already told me they're not going to get it. And he's like, well, I want to try anyways. And I'm like, whatever, dude, you know, like waste, waste the time. And he did it and they had a new feature and they got the, they got the audio. So I go, I go, oh my God, Jake, I call him this morning. I said, he's like, dude, we got the Rand Fishkin audio. I'm like, yes. I said, put my name up on the board. We have a whiteboard. I was like, put my mistake up on the board. Joel's owning it. Like, I'm going to own my mistake. I told you not to try. Like, what am I, what, what was I doing telling somebody I work with, like not to try? Like, and, and then it was just because of the conversation, because I'm talking about it with you now, like I'm aware of it so that the next time that goes to happen and I'm, and my gut says, no, don't waste the time. And I'll think to myself, is this person actually trying? Like I shouldn't get in their way. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And so what are you doing? I'm not, trying to stop the process, Joel. Yeah, dude. I don't there's, know. There's progress I, here. No, I get that though. I get it. Yeah. But I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm perfect. Like stuff like that doesn't happen. I'm, I'm bringing up the conversation so that other people like can own their mistakes too and then become better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, every once in a while, I'll, you know, I, I will definitely struggle with, you know, owning up to some mistakes. Um, but I, I feel like that's also kind of a human trait that you really have to work against. Um, that, you know, I do want to be as open and honest about, you know, my mistakes as well as, you know, things that go well and go wrong and what we can fix. And I I like to be kind of like internally thoughtful about how I do things so I can become better. And part of that is being just brutally honest about, yeah, I kind of screwed that up the other day. 
So, you know, it's always a process to try to improve yourself and, and, and that, all that. And, it, and it's always a balance too. Right. Exactly. Cause I like people who ruin advice because <laughs> somebody, I guarantee you somebody's going to hear this and they're going to go and like blast an email to their 800 person company, like six times a day when they make mistakes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> this is not what I'm, do not do that. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about, buddy. <laughs> That's just called ruining productivity. Right. <laughs> I just, like in general, every once in a while, it's good to like, you know, pay attention and, and bring it up to just remind yourself that like, yeah, we're all human. We all make mistakes and that's the lesson for the day. And let's like, you know, move on. So, uh, to kind of wrap it up, Elon Musk is going to give you a text this afternoon, not about the flamethrower, although we're very excited about that. He's going to say, Abram, I want you to come over. All right, fine. I want to come, come over. You can play with the flamethrower for like five minutes, right? And then you're going to jump in a time machine. You're going to go back 10 years. You're going to give yourself an advice, some advice for a few minutes. What are you going to tell yourself, Abram? 10 years ago, uh, I'd probably just go and tell myself to let go of the stress a lot sooner. Honestly, I, I spent so much time back then you know, starting, starting a company at 10, because, you know, it it was weird. Um, but I spent so much time, you know, worrying about everything being perfect. And, you know, I didn't fall into the trap where it made it so that I couldn't, um, actually start the company, but I did, I spent way too much time on things that, um, just quite honestly, didn't matter too much. In the beginning, I spent way too much time making sure that everything was beautiful from the front, you know, and from the front end of the software where everybody would play with to the actual code in the back end. Now, that doesn't mean that you have absolutely terrible code, um, but it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. Um, and, you know, and on top of that, after letting go of the stress, I think the other thing is just um, kind of continually learn and improve because there was a time um it, probably around high school when I was like um you know early in high school where I was like oh you know I don't have to learn much more and that was not at all correct um you know w- when you're going through kind of those times of hey you know I know everything there is to know about this certain topic and you know it happens to everybody. Everybody will get there at some point. And then you learn the earth shattering new thing where you realize that everything that you knew was probably wrong. Um, so it, it's just those two reminders, you know, let go of stress and um, keep learning new things because those are lessons that I use a lot these days. I've had those same lessons, man. Letting go of that, that perfection and finding good enough. Uh, and then always be learning, always be improving, and then find balance inside of both of those things. Absolutely. If you get this poor developers write really poor code, they're like, no, I've been stressing about getting a little bit better, but (laughs) I heard Joel today, so I'm just going to keep writing my spaghetti code mess. (laughs) No, bro, you need to stress a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. There's, yeah. Martin Fowler up, you know, like read read some code design books. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time on the call. I'm super excited that we got to talk with you. Abram's awesome. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, reaching out to me. It's uh, great to be able to talk with you and also kind of hear different parts of your podcast every now and then. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.